Women of the Passion, A Journey to the Cross. Tonight we have Abigail Zosher leading us on the guitar when we sing the Trisagium. The program was printed before Emma joined us. As we begin Holy Week, our hearts are in Paris with the French people and the Notre Dame Cathedral Fire. Notre Dame is a part of the French identity, its core. Everything in the city is measured by its distance from the cathedral. This parish, Paris landmark, perched on the Seine, is a magnificent piece of architecture, as well as a place of quiet intercession. It is a place of prayer and solitude for many in the midst of a busy city. Let us not forget that it is also a congregation in this holy week and Easter without a worship space. Let's have a moment of silence to pray for that congregation and all who call it their parish home. Jesus is condemned. Women are bound in blood with Christ. Jesus bleeds on the cross. Blood is the cup of the new covenant. Seven of us gathered at Pilate's house when we hear Jesus has been taken here. Peter is jealous of her. Peter, like any of the other men, 
to take women into account in any way. None of the men are as comfortable with us women as is Jesus. It was that ease that gave me the courage to approach him that day. He had kept them. I had been bleeding for 12 long years. I had spent all my money on physicians, and still I bled. Because the law says a bleeding woman is unclean, and any who touch her defiled. My family scorned me, and I lived all alone at the edge of town. But I had heard of the wonders Jesus worked. He was in great demand, so I thought, I won't bother him, but if I touch his clothes, I will be well alone. So I came up behind him with a crush of people and touched the fringe of his garment. I knew instantly something had changed. My body felt lighter. Then Jesus exclaimed, Who touched me? Peter, the man with him, said, The crowd is pressing upon you. What do you mean, who touched me? I was terrified. I hadn't really meant to offend. Trembling, I came forward and threw myself at his feet. Was I to bleed yet again? But his hand was gentle on mine as he held me up. He said, My daughter, her faith was the source of your healing. Be free and go in peace. I was astonished. He had touched me and had not withdrawn to cleanse himself of the faint of me. I was filled with a powerful sense of joy. I resolved to follow wherever I could. I've since tried to model myself after the Pendulum. She warned me people would accuse us of being immoral because we traveled and studied with Jesus. The injustice of it often made me angry, but she just ignored them all with a serene confidence. But now, when she heard the news of Jesus' death sentence, she went white to the lips. The grief in her face was terrible to behold. And I am ashamed to say that the first thought in my head was, what will happen to us women when he's not here? But then I thought, no matter what, I am bound in blood with this man. He made holy the blood that flows through me, and holy is the blood that will be spilled here today.
going to kill an innocent man. Why, he changed my life. He cured me. After 18 years of being bent almost up, 18 years of terrible pain, 18 years of being told it was because I was possessed by a demon, 18 years of being alternately shunned and preached at, he set me free. It was Sabbath, and I had gone to the synagogue to pray. It was usually my only outing of the week, since I rarely visited the score on the streets. I noticed him teaching when I entered, and tried to listen without being noticed. To my dismay, he called to me. I saw the other men look at me, and I shrank from their disgust. But he smiled and beckoned, and my fears dropped away. As I walked up to him, the other men drew back, but he didn't shrink away. Instead, he stood up, and to my surprise, he put his hands on me. It felt so good. No human being had touched me except to shove me aside or abuse me since I was 11. That was when my back had begun to curve. By the time I was 12, I was as bent as an old woman. Now, in my 29th year, a man was touching me with kindness. If he had done nothing more than that, it would have been enough. But he didn't stop there. He said, you're rid of your infirmity. As he spoke, a warmth flowed from his hands through my shoulders and down my spine. The pain vanished. Then he put his hand under my chin and lifted my head. As he did so, I stood up straight. Alleluia's rang from my mouth as I looked skyward for the first time in years. I raised my arms over my head and praised God, for I knew from whence had come this blessing. But then a synagogue official came bustling up, and he was very angry. There are six days each week for manual labor. Come and be healed on one of those days. Do not come on the Sabbath, he announced to the crowd that gathered. And then he turned wrathfully on Jesus. I was horrified. I wanted no harm to come to this man on my account. But Jesus just looked at him calmly and said, How hypocritical. Do you not untie your donkey or your ox and take it for water on the Sabbath? This woman, this daughter of Sarah, has been held in bondage for 18 years. Why not release her on the Sabbath? And the officials were confused, but the people and I were not. We were filled with joy at his wonders and his words. I tried to kneel before him, but he stopped me, holding my hand. What we said remains between the two of us. But I will tell you this. I followed this man to Jerusalem, and I know, as I watch him take up the cross, that I will follow him anywhere, even to Calvary and beyond.
Jesus calls for the first time. You have heard our cries. Thank you. 
body of my body, blood of my blood. I am standing next to his mother when he sees her. He had risen from his fall and walked only a few steps when he raised his head, as if she called out to him, though she made no sound. I think my heart will break at the look of gentle compassion that appears on his face at the sight of her. She reaches out her hand and touches his cheek, cupping it with that tender gesture of mothers from the beginning of time. Their eyes, so like, meet and hold. Neither of them weeps, although Mary's entire body looks broken with grief. The soldiers are uneasy, looking away. None of them are very old, but I suspect they can't help but think of their own mothers. Finally, one of them puts his hand on Jesus' back, almost gently, and says in a grown voice, Keep moving. His mother's hand falls back to her side, wet with blood from his face. She looks after him, then slowly puts the red hand to her face and licks off the blood every drop. Simon is the important man, not this other. We are not part of this. 
Simon, who can't bear to see a donkey suffer, gently takes the beam from the old man, from the poor man, saying as he does so, I will bear your burden for a short while, sire. The bloody man lifts his head and nods. Sire, why on earth would Simon call this man sire? But then I see Simon's face, and I know something important is happening. Simon is a proud man, not given to honoring people without cause. And here he is bowing to this bloody wreck of a man as he takes the beam from him. I open my mouth to protest, but Simon, who knows me all too well, looks up and says, All is well. Come follow us. Marveling, I do so, wondering how all this will end. As the soldiers push past, 
I remove my veil and shove myself toward him. To my surprise, the soldiers let me through. I bend beside him and put my veil to his face to wipe away the blood. Jesus puts his hands over mine, holding the soft cloth to his face for a few seconds. Then he hands it back to me with a sigh and a small smile. A soldier grabs my shoulder and sets me aside. And Jesus continues on his slow, painful way up the sloping street. Tears begin to run down my face, and I lift my veil to wipe them away. As I look at my veil, I nearly scream, for there, looking back at me, is the true image of Jesus' face. I hold it to my heart and weep.
used to illustrate important points. So I stayed to listen, and listening, discovered new depths in myself. That's why, when he fell again, I looked away, unable to bear the sight of his humiliation. This man changed my life. The least I could do is be with him as the take is.
Jesus falls a third time. Our bond with you strengthens our bond with one another. When they arrested Jesus, the men urged us all to go into hiding, fearing the Romans would do a general sweep of the area in an effort to catch all of us who followed him. But his mother refused to leave. Hearing this, I told my husband, Klopas, to go with the others. I would stay. Klopas protested, fearing for me. But I told him that I would be safe, for the Romans would never suspect male women of being dangerous. We agreed to meet later in the upper room of the house where we had shared Passover Seder with Jesus the day before. As I watched Krokos leave, I realized it was the first time we had been apart in years, certainly since we had decided to follow Jesus. For the past year, we had traveled with him as he taught, watched over him as he slept, marveled at the miracles he performed, and wondered at the things he told us. Most of all, we loved him. Our bond with one another had been strengthened by our bond to him. It is that bond that endangers Clopas. He has been seen with him too often. But my womanhood renders me invisible to the Romans, to many of my own people as well. Women are simply part of the background, regarded by Jewish and Roman authorities alike as non-persons, unimportant, negligible. We Marys often had talked of this among ourselves and reminded one another of that our namesake, the prophet Miriam, had also been thrust into the background. So we know we can stay here in relative safety as long as we don't create too much of an uproar or irritate powerful men. But we are all used to living with such strictures. They are part of being a woman like water is part of the sea. That's why, as we walk through the streets behind Jesus and the soldiers, our lament rising above the heads of the shoppers and the merchants in their doorway, one part of my brain is busy gauging the reaction of the Romans. Are they getting angry? Are we pushing our luck too far? Deep as my grief is, for his mother's sake, I know I have to stay alert for any change in their mood that might endanger her. Each time he falls, my heart breaks anew. When he came face to face with his stricken mother, I felt as if I were choking on wormwood and gall. And now, just as we approach the city gate, he falls again.
I went to him and requested a favor. What do you want, he asked me, that these sons of mine may sit beside you, one on your right hand and one on your left, when you are in your kingdom. You do not know what you are asking, he said gently. And turning to my sons, he asked, Can you drink the cup that I will drink? And they replied, Yes, we can. So be it, he said, You shall drink my cup, but the positions of power are not mine to give. They are awarded by God, our Creator. After that, Jesus often teased my sons, calling them the sons of thunder. Some suppose he's referring to my husband, but our whole family knows he's referring to me. So long. I am ambitious for my boys, but I also know that wherever this man goes, I want my sons to go. For good or ill, this is their destiny and that of my husband and me. And now, as I watch him standing on this windswept hillside, I am realizing just how bitter this cup we all must drink will be. I keep remembering him as a little boy, this bright-eyed nephew full of life and joy. His smile would light up the entire house. And his laughter would send us all off in fits of giggles. Now all the laughter is drowning in tears. The Roman soldiers set about their task methodically. Some of them begin preparing the cross, while others strip him of his garments, dividing him among themselves and casting lots for his cloak. His poor, abused body looks so frail as he stands there exposed to the tears of the crowd. One soldier offers him some wine mingled with gall, but after one taste, he turns his head away. I take his mother's hand, and someone takes mine. It is John. Come to be with us at the end.
Jesus is nailed to the cross. Our hearts feel every blow of that hammer. As I watched them strip him and pull him down to the cross, I longed to scream, Stop this madness! This is an innocent man! A good man. I know. He saved my life. I was a maid in the household of an important merchant in Jerusalem, and young and foolish. I had been betrothed since I was a child to a man I had never seen. But the merchant's son convinced me he loved me, and I allowed him to come to my bed. His mother found us. She called me an adulteress and locked me in my room. I was terrified. Although the law clearly states both the man and woman are to be put to death, my lover is important in the community. I knew nothing would happen to him. But the law says a betrothed virgin is to be stoned to death. At daybreak, they dragged me to the temple. There was a man sitting there, surrounded by people. The temple officials threw me to the ground in front of him. I knew I already was a dead woman. Then said, then they said, Rabbi, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law says we should stone her. Tell us, what do you say? I was confused. Who was this man? Why were they asking him? What were they up to? The man ignored them, drawing with his finger in the dust near my face. But they kept at him, and he kept ignoring them. I finally calmed down enough to focus on what he was doing. There in the dust he had written the unspeakable name of God. What did this mean? But the temple officials persisted until he looked up and said quietly, Let the one among you who has not sinned be the first to throw a stone. Then bending down, he drew some more in the dust, smiling sideways at me. One by one, those who accused me silently slipped away until he and I were alone. Where have they gone, he asked me. I said nothing, shaking my head in bewilderment. Tell me, has no one condemned you? He then asked. No one, sir, I said softly. And neither do I. He said, Go now and sin no more. And he helped me to my feet, smiled at me, turned me towards the door, and gave me a gentle push. Go, he said with a smile. And I did. I went and I got my belongings, and I set out to find the company of Jesus. He had given me my life, my life back. I would now give it to him. And now these fools are going to kill him. I hear a terrible groan from his mother and look up. Oh, dear God, they are not tying him to the cross. They are nailing him to it. My heart feels every blow of that hammer as they jerk his feet together and begin driving the nails through that precious skin. His body moves convulsively upward. And I fall driven to the ground by grief.
Jesus dies on the cross. And I know if my grief were over, the I watched him stretch his naked body out on the cross. Even in this moment of complete vulnerability, he is magnificent. As I look at him through eyes blurred, with tears, he is no longer just one man, but seems instead to embody all of the suffering humankind. Could any human endure such a burden? I would die in his place without a moment's regret. That they should touch one hair on that adored head, hurt one inch of that beloved body, sickens me with grief and rage. I have loved him forever, it seems. Even though I met him only three years ago, when he was teaching near my home in Magdala, I knew from the moment we first spoke that he had loved me from before I was born. I would have loved him even if he had not cured me of my affliction, taken from me that deep-seated sadness that had clouded my days ever since I had achieved Menarch. For me, becoming a woman had meant confinement in a prison of sadness. I always seemed to walk in darkness. I yearned to end the soul-eating pain. Then I met him when the sun rose in my life. With a glance, he removed the pall of sadness that had dragged my life in the dust. With a touch, he lifted me into a realm of spiritual brightness that dazzled my eyes and delighted my soul. He called me beloved disciple. And when the inevitable rumors began, I went crying to him. He gentled my tears away and said, Mary, feel my hand on your face. I am touching the image of God. Nothing they say can change that. Not in my eyes, and certainly not in the eyes of the one who made you. And know this, he said, though they may try, they will never be able to cast you into the darkness. My peace is upon you forever. My peace is upon you forever. I cling to those words as they stretch them out upon that dreadful cross. I brush tears from my eyes and see more clearly what they are about to do. Oh, Holy One, help us. They are nailing him to the cross. I turn to shield his mother from the sight, but it is too late. She lets out a low, guttural sound, like that of a woman in labor. I put my arm around her shoulders and feel her slight body shudder with every blow of that accursed hammer. When they pull the cross upright and drop it into a hole in the rock, I think the jolt will tear his arms from his body. And for a terrible, interminable time, we wait as he slowly weakens. Finally, I hear him give himself to his father. Without looking, I know he has gone from me. And I know if my grief were a river, the whole earth would drown.
The body of Jesus is placed in the arms of his mother. Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant.
Hear a scream and wonder who it is. The sky, darkness, thunder, rumbles, and in great silence. My body feels numb. It seems as if the darkness lasts forever. After time, the light returns. Shaken, the soldiers begin to take my child down.
sorrowful mother, all humanity shares your loss. Dear friends, move about me. Peace comes on me. I am the 
Jesus, our brother. 